The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. A rally to remember. Stocks coming off a wild day with the Dow swinging more than 1,500 points intraday to finish sharply higher. The Bank of England set to wrap up its emergency bond buying program as traders remain on edge on the volatility side of things for the bond market there. Investors also gearing up for big bank earnings here stateside with several high profile names reporting results ahead of the opening bell today. And the brain drain continues over at Amazon as two high level executives become the latest to leave the tech giants C-suite and Mark Zuckerberg's big regret. The shift the Meta CEO says he failed to anticipate, costing his company control in the social sphere. It is Friday, October 14th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off your Friday morning with a look at U.S. equity futures. They're stable compared to what we saw yesterday. The Dow is implied lower by just about 95 points. The S&P lower by 15 and the Nasdaq down by about 80 That's less volatile for sure after a wild day on Wall Street and one for the record books, by the way, that saw the Dow swing more than 1,500 points from its low, the trough, to its high peak, the biggest such move since March of 2020. You remember, that was the virus pandemic and the single best daily gain since November of 2020 as well. We've got similar moves for the broader S&P 500 and NASDAQ, both snapping six-day losing streaks yesterday, gaining more than 2%. Ahead of the open, every major index is on track to end the week in positive territory. Now, in the bond market, very much a focal point. The two- and five-year yields trading at their highest level since 2007. The 10-year yield is near 2008 highs. The long bond, the 30-year, the highest yield since 2011. But right now, we've seen a pullback from some of those highs that we saw yesterday. The benchmark 10-year, now below 4%, 3.92% the last trade there. The two-year note yield, a hair below 4.43%. And the 30-year long bond now pulling back below, just about, just below 3.9% on that 30-year long bond. Now, energy prices, they're pulling back today as well. We did see a move higher in yesterday's session, but now U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI crude, off 62 cents, $88.50, off two-thirds of 1%. Similar percentage decline there for ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, down 67 cents to $93.90. And within cryptocurrencies, we did see a drop-off yesterday in Bitcoin and Ether prices tied to that inflation report, the CPI. But today we're seeing a bit of a bid come back. Bitcoin prices now back above the 19,000 mark, 19,615, up one and a quarter percent. Two and a half percent gains for Ether, $1,320 and change. Now, around the world, stocks in Asia following Wall Street's lead 
rallying across the region. You can see there the Nikkei in Japan up about 3% to close the day. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong up north of 1%, and the Shanghai Composite up nearly 2% on that day. Pretty green all over the Asian markets. Now, if we spin that globe around to take a look at the early trading action in Europe, we are seeing, guess what, the same thing there. Green across the screen. Two-thirds percent gains there for the FTSE 100 in the U.K., Half percent gains for the German DAX and the CAC in France is up about three quarters of one percent. I should note, though, those are off session highs. Sticking with Europe and new developments in the United Kingdom, that country's finance minister cutting his trip to Washington, D.C. short amid reports that Prime Minister Liz Truss is considering reversing more of her government's controversial proposed mini budget. This as the Bank of England is set to wrap up its emergency bond buying program over there. Let's now get to Jumana Bersechi. Jumana, what is the latest in this developing situation? Kwasi Kwarteng, their version of our Janet Yellen, has to come back, maybe because there will be a possible hypothetical policy pivot. How much do we really know right now? Yes, well, Dom, the last time we tracked the flight so closely was Pelosi's flight to Taiwan. Everyone seems to be focused on what time the Chancellor is going to be landing in the UK. He's expected to land in about 45 minutes' time and make his way over here to Downing Street. And what a 24 hours it has been. This is a remarkable turnaround. There are further reports that the UK government is considering more U-turns on this mini-budget. Remember, this is the mini-budget they released on September 23rd sent markets into a global tailspin, namely because of the sheer amount of unfunded tax cuts that this government was intent on introducing, £45 billion worth. And on the back of that, we saw gilt, gilt yields move about 100 basis points higher in the space of 48 hours. The Bank of England had to intervene to restore some stability. The government already made one form of a U-turn by scrapping their intention to reduce the highest income tax 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 rates on um, the highest earners, but the expectation is that they will have to go further down that route and possibly modify corporation tax, possibly even dividend tax as well. And then lots of questions, Dom, about the future, actually, of the Prime Minister and the Chancellor and whether their positions are actually tenable, given how many U-turns they've had to make just in the space of a couple of weeks. I just know, Jumana, over social media, there's been a lot of talk about how long it will be, what the over-under, so to speak, is for either and or Liz Truss and or Quasi Quartang to still be on the job in the coming months and possibly years here. Uh, let's also, per- perhaps if we can, do you want to talk about the Bank of England and this emergency bond buying program? Are there any expectations that it may actually extend because today's the deadline that's supposed to end today or maybe even revive it down the road if need be? It seems like that would be something they have to consider given they've set the precedent now with their emergency bond buying program. I think what saves the Bank of England here is the move in gilt yields we've had over the last 24 hours. We've rallied about 30, 40 basis points. And if we were still in an environment where investors were happy to sell UK assets, and I think that would be problematic to the Bank of England from a financial stability perspective. But because things seem to be rallying back and there is expectation that the government's going to go ahead with this U-turn, uh, there's more uh, sort of uh, less concern, I should say, from the Bank of England about how this is all going to play out. And so they now can go back to focusing on their inflation mandate, their monetary policy mandate. And remember, they do have that meeting on November the 3rd. The market is expecting a 75 basis point hike then. And they can go back to doing what they wanted to do all along, which is to bring back inflation to two percentage points rather than have to intervene in the gilt market 
to save it from dysfunctionality and the extreme illiquidity we saw over the last couple of weeks. Jumana Bersetchi live in London outside 10 Downing Street. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. As investors continue to watch the situation in the U.K., they now also turn their attention to earnings season here in America. It's set to shift into high gear today with several financial firms reporting their quarterly results. The companies potentially setting the tone for the broader earnings landscape as a number of questions really swirl on just how much and how big mounting macro big picture headwinds may impact all those micro company specific results. For more, let's bring in Dan Veru. He's the co-chairman and chief investment officer at Palisade Capital Management. Dan, you heard Jumana's report that there are a lot of things in flux right now from a macroeconomic, big picture global standpoint. We saw a massive amount of volatility in our stock market yesterday. What do all of those things in combination tell you about whether or not this is close to a market bottom or not? Well, uh, Dom, thank you for having me. Unfortunately, I don't think we're at a market bottom yet. I think things are still not stable. Uh, Yesterday's move was really uh, just uh, some calm. And I'm trying to recall uh, a time when I've tracked the dollar versus global currencies so much because uh, the strength in the dollar uh, really has expressed stresses elsewhere. And certainly what has happened in the UK is the latest example of that. And I think there are sort of many crises in the making, potentially. You, you can't rule it out as, as a potential that could have global ramifications for risk assets like stocks. And, um, you know, this is, uh, this is the, you know, this is the issue that invest that that's very difficult to quantify at this point. Yeah, uh, but you, you mentioned the dollar, it's a yeah. perfect way to get into a conversation about what's going to happen with the corporate earnings season. The, the, right. the banks, right. maybe not as much. We don't focus on them specifically right. because of the dollar strength. But there are a number of consumer products companies, large technology firms that derive a lot of their revenues outside the U.S. And that strong dollar is going to weigh on corporate revenues and profits as they try to revert them back overseas to here in the U.S. What exactly yeah. is that strong dollar story going to tell us about what we should expect from corporate earnings season. There's going to be some headwinds there. I think it's probably why uh, the Russell 2000 seems to be outperforming more recently. Uh, It seems to be basing a little bit ahead of what the S&P is doing right now because there's less dollar exposure by the more domestically focused uh, U.S. companies. I think it's really important to focus on profitability regardless of where you're looking, whether it's large or small. Uh, which I, I equate uh, profitability to duration because we continue to raise interest rates. The Federal Reserve is not uh, is very unlikely that they're they're done yet. Uh, conditions are tight and are likely going to get tighter on a going forward basis until there's evidence that uh, the inflation, uh, uh, you know, the, the that, that inflation has peaked and is beginning to come down. I just don't think we're there yet. And I'd contrast this period to, say, other crises we've had in the past where it's been much more V-shaped. I think this is more of a bottoming process than a point in time. So investors have to be patient because I think there's going to be fantastic buying opportunities. All right. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for the market thoughts. We appreciate it. A crazy time for sure in the markets overall. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning, Bertha. 
Hey, good morning, Dom. Beyond Meat reportedly further reducing its headcount as the alternative meat company faces continued challenges. According to Bloomberg, it's unclear how many people were let go with these latest job cuts. The report adds some cuts came in the research and development department. The move comes after about 40 positions were eliminated in August as a part of a broader cost-cutting plan. The brain drain at Amazon showing no signs of slowing down. The company confirming to CNBC Greg Zaertz, president of hardware research and development, is retiring. Zaer is credited with inventing the Kindle e-reader. Also on his way out, senior vice president of Amazon Alexa, Tom Taylor, is retiring. Taylor is a more than 10-year veteran of the company and also a member of CEO Andy Jassy's elite S-team. And Treasury Secretary Yellen says... Russia's war against Ukraine has weakened that country's economy and slowed its growth prospects for the foreseeable future. Speaking at the IMF and World Bank's annual meeting in Washington, Yellen said that lost re investment, including hundreds of private sector companies that have left Russia are likely to and are unlikely to return, is likely to be felt for years to come. Meanwhile, Reuters reporting that Alcoa has asked the Biden administration to halt U.S. imports of aluminum from Russia. The report request comes as the White House was apparently mulling that very move. Dom? All right. Bertha I was almost tempted to say aluminium. Alumi yes, it is from our friends over the Atlantic. Al aluminium. It, it is a very, very formal word. Uh, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. When we come back <laughs> on the show, much more on that dramatic rebound. Carrie Firestone lays out the stocks she says look attractive amid the wild swings in the market. Plus, China's Xi Jinping set to lay out his vision for that country's economy. The shifts Beijing may make to counter mounting headwinds over there coming up next. And later on, the congressional January 6th panel voting to subpoena former President Donald Trump over the Capitol Hill riot and insurrection. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. China's consumer prices rose at the fastest pace in nearly two and a half years in the month of September. Its consumer price index rising 2.8% from a year ago. That's up from 2.5% in August, but it's also in line with forecasts. Now, the increase was driven largely by food costs. Pork prices, by the way, over there soaring 36%. This is the world's second largest economy. It's struggled to regain ground amid weaker exports, a slump in the property markets there, 
and lockdowns under the government's zero COVID policy. As of this week, Nomura says about 14 percent of China's population are under still some type of COVID restriction. This all comes ahead of the start of the National Party Congress on Sunday, where President Xi Jinping is poised to cement a third unprecedented five year term, really making him and cementing his status as China's most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. Now, let's bring in Shazad Kazi, managing director and chief operating officer of the China Beige Book, somebody who looks at the economic data very closely. Shazad, frame this for us, please. Rising prices, the highest in two and a half years, a slowing economy because they've locked themselves down actively. It sure sounds like a stagflation type narrative. Is that kind of what China is moving towards right now? Hey, good morning, Tom. Uh, you know, on the eve of the Party Congress, the Chinese economy is at one of its weakest points in recent memory. Uh, you know, if you look at China Beige Book data across the board compared to year ago levels, you're seeing pretty major drops uh, and, and almost every sector is struggling. Uh, the property market is in deep trouble. It's in a deep hole. Uh, manufacturing is, has certainly slowed down you know, quite considerably over the last several months. Uh, and I think as foreign demand continues to slow down, especially if you get a, a you know, recession in Europe, recession in the U.S., uh, well, the manufacturing stru- uh, sector is going to struggle even more. Uh, now, this rise in domestic prices, that may actually be a, you know, a, a, a sort of a positive sign because one of the biggest issues that you're looking at in China right now is the risk of deflation. Uh, now, will this last? I'm not sure because consumer sentiment in China is still pretty weak. Households are under a lot of pressure. Uh, so we'll continue watching the, the local prices data uh, pretty closely. Uh, but I'm not expecting a major consumer rebound and therefore a continuation of consumer prices uh, 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 rising month after month in, 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 the, in, in the next 46 months. You know, Shazad, it's interesting. One of the things that many experts have, have, have spoken a lot about over the last several years and even decades at this point is the ability for China to export deflation, right? They've been able to cut costs and prices on a number of things. You could argue about quality, I mean, whatever you want. But still, the stuff that comes out of there tends to be on the cheaper, if you will, side of things. Is this a scenario developing possibly where where inflation in other places like the U.S. or Europe could be helped by China maybe having a deflationary environment? That's absolutely it. Now, the Fed, for example, is watching this very, very closely. Um, You know, if Chinese producer prices continue to fall as they have, if the manufacturing sector continues to see price weakness as it has been seeing, uh, that could actually be a pretty positive signal uh, for major central banks, especially the Fed, because it could signal that, look, we may be seeing some amounts of inflation uh, softening uh, here at home uh, in, in the near term. Now, also, we cannot leave you without talking a little bit about the National Party Congress. This is their big event politically. There's going to be some movement, not just Xi Jinping cementing himself as the almost like emperor, if you will, of China in the modern era, but also because there's going to be a reshuffling of the Politburo over there. What exactly is the Communist Party looking to do at this particular massive event to really set itself up in the next five to seven years? Or could we see a lot of changes during that time because the economy is in such a state of flux? I think there are a few major things that we should be on the lookout for. First is an enunciation 
of uh, the growth model moving forward, uh, right? So does President Xi and others uh, uh, reinforce the idea that, look, moving forward, uh, we have succumbed, if you will, to a slower growth pace, and we're much more committed to making this the economy a lot more sustainable uh, and, and, you know, focusing a lot more on private industries, focusing a lot more on the consumer side of the economy, uh, number one. And of course, even more important is how is zero COVID discussed? Because zero COVID, Dom, is not leaving us after the party Congress as much as traders believe it is. It's not going away probably well into 2023. Uh, and I think looking out on how COVID zero is discussed is going to be critical for markets. It's absolutely going to be because the communication's everything because there's already growing signs of frustration among the citizens in China about this zero COVID policy. Shazad Kazi at China Beige Book International. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, sir. Still on deck for the show. Earnings season set to shift into high gear as several of the big banks ready to results to report their results this morning. We're going to dig into whether the numbers may ease some of the uncertainties around the health of the broader economy overall. We'll what exchanges back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange to Washington, D.C. with those House January 6th committee voting unanimously to subpoena former President Donald Trump, the panel holding its final public hearing before the midterm elections. We have NBC's Bree Jackson joining us now from Washington with more on that vote and the story around it. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Dom. Well, the January 6th committee argues that former President Trump was a central figure in the U.S. Capitol attack. They say that Mr. Trump must be held accountable and is required to answer for his actions. Resolution is agreed to. An historic move by the January 6th committee voting to subpoena former President Trump. And so if we uh, get his attention, fine. If not, we'll go with the evidence that we've collected. Mr. Trump, unlikely to appear, asked, why didn't the unselect committee ask me to testify months ago? blasting them as political hacks and thugs and promising a response later this morning. The panel stressing its case that the former president willfully incited the insurrection. He was personally and substantially involved in all of it. Arguing Trump orchestrated a plan to stay in power by spreading false claims about election fraud and was backed by his inner circle. The key thing to do is to claim victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. Claiming victory publicly. Frankly, we did win this election. While privately acknowledging defeat. And he was looking at the TV and he said, can you believe I lost to this effing guy? The panel also revealing emails and other evidence showing the Secret Service had ample warning of threats of violence from far-right extremist groups. The source went on to say their plan is to literally kill people. Please, please take this tip seriously and investigate further. Shocking video shows lawmakers scrambling to an undisclosed secure location pleading for help. They're breaking the law in many different ways. And quite frankly, much of it at the instigation of the president of the United States. 
The committee summing up its argument that former President Trump played a key role in the riot, did little to stop it, and warned threats to democracy remain. And the January 6th committee plans to release a final report of its findings by the end of this year. Committee members say they will make legislative recommendations and are considering criminal referrals to the Justice Department. Dom. All right. NBC's Bree Jackson, thank you very much for that. Still on deck for the show. United Airlines reportedly ready to make a big buy of new planes. The stocks that could stand to benefit from what's expected to be a very large airplane order. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Thursday's wild turnaround. Looking short-lived as futures point to pressure at the opening bell. Bank earnings, though, set to provide fresh fodder for the markets and traders. Several key reports are due out later on this morning. And a rare omission, admission of regret from Mark Zuckerberg. The trend, he says, he wishes Meta was more on top of to keep its edge in the social media industry. It's Friday, October 14, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Schuwen for Brian Sullivan. So let's get right to how the markets are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour on this Friday. A roller coaster ride yesterday. Futures now indicating some modest losses at the opening bell. The Dow implied lower by 92 points. The S&P down by 15. and The Nasdaq down by just around 75. So relatively stable compared to yesterday when the Dow swung more than 1,500, 1,500 points from its low point to its high point. That's its biggest such move since March of 2020 during the virus pandemic. And the single biggest daily gain since November of 2020. Similar moves for the broader S&P 500 and for the Nasdaq. They both snapped six-day losing streaks in a big way yesterday, gaining more than 2% apiece. Now, ahead of the open, every major index is on track to end the week in positive territory. In the bond market, you've got two- and five-year note yields trading at their highest level since 2007. The benchmark 10-year note yield is back up to 2008 highs, and the long bond hit its highest yield since 2011. But right now, we've seen a pullback from those multi-year highs in terms of yield. The benchmark 10-year note yield, 3.92%. The two-year note yield, just a hair below 4.44%. And the 30-year long bond, 3.9%, just a little below that. Now, if you take a look overall at the overall picture for everything else in the markets, there is a lot of stuff happening on the macro side of things. We, out, we now are going to go to a developing situation around the Bank of England. The central bank is still on track to wrap up its emergency bond buying program today. The BOE initially announcing that two-week intervention in the long-dated bond market late last month. Amid that, new developments on the fiscal front this morning. The U.K.'s finance minister cutting his trip to Washington, D.C. short amid reports Prime Minister Liz Truss is considering reversing, pivot, if you will, of her, co- of her government's controversial mini-budget and a package of unfunded tax cuts. Taking a look at European markets amid all of this, we are seeing some general positivity. Again, for European markets, the FTSE 100 up about two-thirds of 1%, the German DAX up half a percent, and the CAC in France up about three-quarters of 1%, bigger gains in the IBEX in Spain up north of 1% right now. 
Checking now on the 10-year gilt yield, their government bonds over the last few weeks, we now are seeing a move lower in gilt yields as well. Just a hair above 4% on that big figure number for the 10-year benchmark London gilt. Over the last month, you can see here a general move higher in rates that has now tailed off in just about the last couple of days or so here. Taking a look also at the British pound sterling, cable, whatever you want to call it, British pounds now are getting at least, at least here, some kind of a move to the downside after a pop yesterday. It'll now cost you $1.1241 to buy a British pound. So again, a little bit of movement down to the downside after a sharp move higher. Let's get some checks now on the morning's top stories. And Bertha Coombs is back with those. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Dom. So Twitter says it's trying to obtain documents from Elon Musk related to a federal investigation into his $44 billion bid for the company. Twitter's legal team says it has been trying since July to get the documents. It says, quote, bear upon key issues in this litigation, adding that Musk's legal team has continuously failed to comply, citing investigative privilege. The federal investigation relates to an Elon Musk tweet from May indicating a deal with Twitter quote, cannot move forward until the company provides more detail on spam and platform fraud activity. Meantime, Meta Platform CEO Mark Zuckerberg admitting he failed to anticipate and acknowledge a giant trend shift in social networking that has led to the success of rival TikTok. In an interview with analyst Ben Thompson, Zuckerberg says he, quote, sort of missed how people interact with uh, discovered content via social feeds and that people simply want the best content, regardless of who made it. Adding, quote, TikTok didn't fit my pattern of a social thing. It felt more like a shorter version of YouTube to me. The Facebook founder says it's important for Meta to develop new AI so that it can recommend a range of content, including text and photos, and not just short videos. Meantime, United Airlines is reportedly closing in on an order for more than 100 wide-body jets, according to Bloomberg, studying uh, offers from Boeing and Airbus. The deal would be one of the largest ever for long-range aircraft and comes just months after United closed a deal to buy some 207 narrow-body jets. According to the report, CEO Scott Kirby told some pilots that he's planning, quote, a triple-digit order that could be announced as soon as December. No official comments from Airbus, Airbus, Boeing, or United on that report. That would be a pretty big order, Tom. A very big one for sure. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for that. It's a very busy day on Wall Street with several of the big banks releasing their third quarter results. You've got J.P. Morgan. You've got Citigroup. Morgan Stanley. Wells Fargo. All reporting results before the opening bell. Investors are bracing themselves for less than positive results amid mounting economic macro worries. With J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon telling CNBC just this past week that a U.S. recession is likely to come within the next six to nine months. All four banks, by the way, that are reporting this morning are down between 11 and 30 percent just so far this year to date. For more on what to expect now, let's bring in Stephen Bigger. He's the director of financial institutions research at Argus Research. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for joining us this morning. This is a very big kickoff to big bank season. I remember the days when it was maybe just J.P. Morgan and or Wells Fargo that would kick things off. But now we got four of them. So what exactly are you looking for this morning? 
Yeah, good morning, Dominic. It's uh, going to be a big day for bank earnings, obviously, just the way the calendar works. Uh, we've got a lot of big banks coming out today. Uh, you know, the headline results, I think, are going to be pretty scary, uh, down, you know, as, as little as 10% for a name like Bank of America to down close to 50% uh, on headline earnings for Goldman Sachs. So, you know, the, the important thing to remember here is that the, um, you know, really the fundamentals for banks, the lending businesses are doing quite well. We're expecting kind of a, you know, mid to high single, uh, mid to high teens uh, growth in that interest income. Uh, the enormous swing factors here are going to be loss revisions, which, you know, the big, big four banks with, uh, with large lending businesses are probably going to reserve about uh, 4.1 trillion uh, this quarter versus a 3.6 trillion reversal last year. Uh, so that's an enormous headwind for uh, for bank earnings, and then of course the capital market sensitive areas, uh, investment banking down to 50 to 70 percent. Uh, you have M and A activity that was very soft. Um, trading probably held up well. So a lot of cross currents uh, this quarter. Yeah, speaking of cross currents, I, you know the, the the conventional wisdom and, and narrative, the stories that we tell around rising interest rates and in banks, or that these rising interest rates are good for them. It helps their net interest margins, their net interest income. They, they can lend on longer term bases at higher rates and then kind of keep the shorter end there and kind of turn things around. But that, that's not the case anymore. The interest rate dynamic is so different right now. And you've got a possible recession coming in the next six to nine months. If you listen to Jamie Dimon, all of that could sap loan demand. Right. As people start to kind of get a little bit more inured towards, you know, that this idea of higher rates. So how exactly do banks then navigate that kind of environment and, and what kind of commentary are they going to put forth today? So, yeah, three uh, items I think they consider there. You hit on uh, a couple of them. The, you know, the, the yield curve environment is, is not as favorable as it, as it could be. We do have higher uh, short-term rates across the board. That's helpful for, you know, the prime rate, for example. Uh, banks will benefit from that. But uh, the, the yield curve being inverted as it is is not exactly where you want it. Um, number two, yes, the, uh, you know, higher uh, yields do uh, what they're supposed to, which is uh, pull away from loan growth. Uh, so that is a concern moving into 2023, and I think that's where you know some of this commentary because loan growth has been so strong. Uh, we get, uh, of course, a great you know weekly data from Federal Reserve. It's up 10% year over year in the aggregate. Um, so you know that uh, that will be interesting in terms of commentary, and then and then loss provisioning. So yeah, higher rates generally universal uh, a tailwind for banks. However, uh, you know if, if the economy does does weaken. Uh, that means more unemployment, and that means higher charge-offs. So there's probably no better correlation in banking than uh, unemployment and charge-offs. If, if customers have um, uh, lose a job or and, and can't find another one, they they're going to default, uh, and that uh, that means more charge-offs for banks. So uh, so yeah, three dynamics going in there uh, there with with interest rates. Stephen, we've got, we've got just a few moments left here. I, I wonder with that backdrop that you're assuming being set. Where is the best place to be in banks right now? Is it the money centers, the investment banks, the regionals? Well, I think the regionals uh, certainly have it uh, much better. You know, they'll, they'll benefit uh, more directly from that lending business boost from uh, from that loan growth and and uh, net interest margin expansion. They don't have the, the kind of the dead weight of capital markets uh, right now for the most part. Uh, and charge off still in pretty good shape, as I mentioned. So I, I think the regionals are, are the place to be. We've got another probably a couple of quarters of softness in, in capital markets as, as best we can see until that IPO activity uh, turns around, um, until more liquidity uh, comes into this market. Uh, so, so I think the regionals are the place to be. Names like PNC Financial and 
truest U.S. Bancorp, uh, solid franchises here, good underwriting, good loan growth, uh, and uh, high single digit to low double digit PEs, 4% yields. Uh, that, that's a pretty good valuation story. All right. Stephen Bigger, the call there, PNC Financial, also U.S. Bancorp and Truist as top picks. Thank you very much. Coming up on the show, gauging the state of small business in America. Speaking of that bank trade and loan growth, the key challenges facing these economic drivers and what they say is the biggest hurdle in keeping the lights on and one of the biggest engines for economic growth in this country. But first, as we head up to break, some of your top trending stories. New reports, Elon Musk's benevolence has an expiration date, according to CNN. Musk's SpaceX sent a letter to the Pentagon saying it could no longer fund its free Starlink Internet service in Ukraine. The company asking the Department of Defense to pick up the tab, which SpaceX claims will cost more than $120 million for the rest of the year and closer to $400 million over the next 12 months. And talk about high-priced denim. A vintage pair, if you want to call it that, vintage for sure, of Levi's jeans going back to the 1880s after the gold rush. Going for more than $87,000 at auction, they were found in an old mine shaft in northern New Mexico. According to their auction listing, the jeans are one of the oldest known Levi's from that gold rush era. And despite inflation hitting its highest levels in more than 40 years, convenience store staple Arizona iced tea says it's going to keep that big can at 99 cents for as long as they possibly can. The brand has sold its iconic 23-ounce cans for nearly 30 years and says it focuses on increasing sales volumes to avoid passing price hikes onto consumers. Arizona Iced Tea, trying to stay at 99 cents per can. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A new report on the state of small businesses around the world, shedding some new light on the impact of things like inflation, manufacturing issues, supply chain, right, and also consumer demand. The report coming amid growing chatter about an economic downturn in the months ahead. So let's talk more about this with John Stanford, co-executive director of Small Business Roundtable, one of the organizations behind that report. So, John, maybe no surprise that with talk of an economic downturn comes a little bit more pessimism from the small business side of things. Can you take us through what your findings are about just how pessimistic small business owners are becoming? Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with a positive note in that this is our first of we've been doing 10 of these studies. And this is the first one where COVID is really showing up in the rear view. But what that has meant is it's made room for the economic concerns. So as small business owners have begun to say, I'm less worried about the COVID impact on my business, they're staring at the same economic turmoil that we've been talking about all show. Inflationary pressures, supply chain, they're concerned Um, though they also see opportunity in the months and years ahead. Those who stayed in business and made it through COVID, they're seeing increased year-over-year sales. So we continue to face the same dichotomy that you talk about. We know something is looming. It's beginning to get concerning. Workforce remains a challenge. And yet, the crisis hasn't hit yet. So a lot of small business owners, very cautious, but still a little optimistic. So how exactly are they responding, John? Have, have you seen anything? Have they said anything about that state of mind that you just mentioned and then what they're going to do about it? Are they going to hire less people? Are they going to keep less stuff in inventory? Are they going to scale down their businesses or physical footprint, a.k.a. make things smaller? Uh, what's going to happen? 
I think everybody is looking at those cost-cutting factors you just laid out. The number one thing I'll call out is we don't see plans to cut the labor force. So it seems that small business owners who are employers remain committed to keeping those folks on. We think that could have to do with how hard it was to bring them back in after COVID. So you see small business owners feeling like their people are what they have to keep. So we see them thinking about cutting elsewhere. We also see them continuing to embrace digital uh, as a way to cut costs and also a way to reach customers with less foot traffic, less brick and mortar costs. So I think we do expect to see them double down on using digital to earn those savings. But we think they're going to keep the people because they knew how hard it was to bring them back in. All right. And you mentioned that's a lesson learned. Uh, We just got a few moments left, John. What do you think the other big lessons learned are for these small business owners in the next several months? Building capital relationships, without a doubt. We'll be watching those earnings as well. But I think small business owners now know how critical a capital partner is. And those who want to make it in whatever troublesome times are ahead are going to be leaning on those relationships with lenders. So a lot of them have figured out, I have to have a relationship in the capital community for when times are tough. All right. John Stanford at the Small Business Roundtable. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, sir. Thanks, Doug. As we head out to break, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating teammates, our colleagues, contributors also, and business leaders as well. Here is Fenway, Summer Ventures, and Impact Master Holdings partner, Javier Sadi. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Then I went to college in the Midwest. It opened my eyes to a world of possibility to pursue the American dream. Yet, hurdles exist for many. But why is America such an amazing place? Hundreds of cultures, the most dynamic economy in the world. And oh, by the way, Hispanic success is American success. Soon to be 100 million people, trillions in GDP, digital, entrepreneurial, productive. Our heritage is part of the American story. I'm proud to be Puerto Rican, lucky to be an American. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Getting ready for your big, big, big trading day ahead. You've got 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, September retail sales, October consumer sentiment out at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And of course, as we've mentioned on the earnings front, it's Citigroup. It's J.P. Morgan Chase. It's Morgan Stanley. Wells Fargo all reporting before the opening bell today. And on the heels of yesterday's hotter than expected inflation report, we're going to hear from Kansas City Fed President Esther George and Fed Governors Lisa Cook and Christopher Waller. So no shortage of potential catalysts for the market. Let's get more on the trading day ahead with Kerry Firestone, Aureus Asset Management CEO, also a CNBC contributor and a member of Forbes 50 over 50 list for the year 2022. Carrie, you've got a number of accolades and you're a stock picker, which is why we love having you on. But I'd like to start off with a bigger picture question for you first. What do you make of what happened yesterday? Oh, wow. That was crazy. And and by the way, Don, thank you very much. Uh, But you have to think if the market was up 2.6 percent with a hot inflation number, what would it have done if the number was cool? I mean, up 6 percent. I mean, that was really crazy. So you have to begin to wonder if there are investors out there willing to take some risk, because up until that point, we saw the skittishness and concern and impulsive selling immediately on bad news because the people who had bought the market didn't want anything to do with risk associated with higher inflation and higher interest rates. But for some reason, 
that evaporated and there was a flood of buyers coming into the market who understood that there's inflation, that eventually the Fed is going to control this inflation. And we have a market that was down at that point 28 percent year to date. A lot of that bad news was in stock prices and not only 28 percent. That's the S&P. But if you think about energy being up this year and consumer staples being flat, pretty good, pretty good stocks, really good stocks this year. There are many sectors that are down 30 percent, stocks down 40, 50 or 60 percent. And so I think it made sense that you saw or I was pleased that we saw some investors and buyers make commitments because they were attractively priced equities and that they believe that the numbers backward looking will start to improve. Carrie, do you think that they were fundamental buyers making a commitment or was it short covering? That's a good question. You know, there's there's been discussion about short covering. That was an awful lot of short covering. I mean, yes, of course, there was some short covering to go from on the Dow down 500 to up 700 or eight. I mean, what a thousand. I mean, that was huge. That wasn't just short covering. That was massive moves that included short covering. But there were some there were some big institutions that started buying. Of course, black boxes were buying, but they had to be doing it on the fact that valuations are low to some extent. And there were signals suggesting this is an oversold market. Now, real money managers, and you're one of them, you know, you you invest people's money. So as people put more money with you, you invest it. So maybe a lot of mutual funds started getting orders throughout the course of the day that they then started to put to work in the market. I I wonder, in the time we have left, I want to know what goes on your shopping list. Is it tech? Sure. Is it energy? Is it what? Where are you finding value in this kind of a market? You know, it's interesting, Tom. Last week, uh, we were buying some shares of stocks that had really been clobbered, like Align, which is a healthcare company, Invisalign. You know, we bought that stock. We bought First Republic, a name we'd owned for many years, but hadn't owned it for the last uh, year or so because we thought they were at prices. You know, we couldn't resist. So there are some stocks that we've we've been buying and we would like to buy more of that, again, have been clobbered, whether it's PayPal, Meta, Adobe. I said First Republican line. But also we have a mix of names that have been relatively good performers. So they have defensive characteristics, including UNH, which is reporting today, Thermo Fisher, O'Reilly Auto and Health Equity. So we're trying to balance that. But on the buy side, I think what's more attractive today If you can handle it, because, you know, we don't know where the bottom is, but we have to be close on some names to put the money in in some tech names, in some of the really beaten up uh, consumer discretionary stocks and in communications where, you know, they've been just destroyed because of the fears of uh, recession, lower advertising, you know, Meta and Google are examples that, you know, we think have upside potential. But you have to be able to handle that, you know, mentally. And, and, de- and deal with that uh, and, and be calm. So yep. that's what I suggest. There you go. Be calm. Stay calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Kerry Firestone, thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Futures are pointing to some modest losses at the opening bell after a big move higher yesterday. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next, and we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.